This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. After getting snubbed by then-President Richard Nixon and with a desire to flex more political muscle, the Congressional Black Caucus was formed 50 years ago in 1971. It began with 13 members. Today, there are more than 50. Just ahead, we'll talk to one of those CBC members, Congressman James Clyburn. The South Carolina Democrat became active in campus politics in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Getting his start by supporting Representative Shirley Chisholm, she ran for president in 1972 in part to break some gender and racial barriers. I remember going to the 1972 uh, Democratic Convention. It was the year that Shirley Chisholm was winning for president. Um, uh, I, um, I thought... Uh, that then, uh, that her candidacy uh, was something that needed to be given credibility. Uh, And I voted for Shirley Chisholm uh, in 1972 as a South Carolina delegate. We will have more of our conversation with Congressman Clyburn just ahead. Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman elected to Congress, representing part of New York City. And before her death in 2005, she talked about what it was like in those early days as a member of the House. For the first two to three months, I was miserable. The gentleman did not pay me any mind at all. When I would go to the lunchroom to eat, they would not sit at the same table as I did because I was a black woman. Uh, it, was, it was horrible. And I'll give you two little incidents that perhaps it shows it show you that I, I had a sense of humor about a lot of things. There was a little dining room beneath the house, uh, the, the floor of the house, and that was the place where we could go to get a bite if we were going to have a long day. And I did not know that in that dining room the tables were designated to the different delegations. There was a table for New York, a table for Alabama, a table for... And I went one day to go down and sat at the table. Well, I sat at a table because nobody was sitting there. Ten chairs to the table. And I ordered my lunch. I was very hungry that day. And I got dessert and salad and a little bit of everything put on the table. And, they, and I always took the New York Times and read it while I was eating because nobody would sit by me. So this day, I felt something hovering around me. I looked up. And if looks could kill, I would have been, I would have been dead. I, because I was seated at the Georgian delegation table and didn't know it. Oh my <laughs> I was at the Georgian delegation table and didn't know it. And this man stood up and looked at me and said, you sit at the wrong table. I said, what did you say? He said, I says, you sit at the wrong table. I said, what table is this? Oh, I said, but you see, the tables do not have any labels. I didn't know, but tomorrow I will find out where New York sits here, and then I will go to New York. So I continue to eat. That story from Representative Shirley Chisholm, a founding member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Another founding member, Congressman William Clay Sr., said that when the CBC was established, quote, black people have no permanent friends, no permanent enemies just permanent interests. One of those interests, voting rights, an issue Congressman John Lewis discussed here in Washington back in 2012. I happen to believe 
through years of work and service that the vote is the most powerful, nonviolent tool that we have in a democratic society. And we have to use it. We have to use it. There is an attempt today, in my estimation, a deliberate, systematic attempt to make it almost impossible for people to participate in the democratic process. Some of us didn't give a little blood. I only gave a little blood on the bridge in 1965. Some of my brothers and sisters and my colleagues gave their lives. We cannot afford to let people steal an election before the election take place. That from Congressman John Lewis at Politics and Prose in 2012. And two years later, the country's first African-American president, Barack Obama, had this to say before the Congressional Black Caucus. Even before President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act into law, even as the debate dragged on in the Senate, he was already challenging America to do more and, and march further to build a great society. One, Johnson said, where no child will go unfed and no youngster will go unschooled, where no man who wants to work will fail to find it, where no citizen will be barred from any door because of his birthplace or his color or his church, where peace and security is common among neighbors and possible among nations. This is the world that waits for you, he said. Reach out for it now. Join the fight to finish the unfinished work. President Obama addressing the CBC in 2014. Up next, our conversation with veteran Congressman James Clyburn. He was first elected back in 1992. He is currently the House Democratic Whip, the third-ranking Democrat in Congress, and a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. We began our conversation by talking about those early days, why the caucus was formed. Well, my understanding uh, is that uh, uh, the eight, uh, seven or eight members, uh, African-American members at the time, uh, were having problems uh, getting uh, attention of the uh, uh, administration uh, individually uh, and came to the conclusion that they... uh, uh, needed to have a more collective and coordinated approach to um, uh, get the agenda that they thought would be beneficial to the African American community uh, serious consideration. Uh, as you know, um, the 1968 presidential uh, was one that. Um, elected uh, someone whose sensitivity toward the African-American community was suspect, to say the least, which is kind of interesting to me because having studied a little bit of um, uh, what Richard Richard Nixon's um, uh, ideas were, uh, a lot of things that we uh, attribute uh, to uh, more progressive uh, expressions, at least from uh, uh, candidates and um, and presidents, uh, could very well be attributed to, uh, to Nixon. I don't know whether it's because of the people he had around him, um, but um, there were some pretty progressive ideas that he seemed not to um, want to deal with uh, 
on a personal or public level, but seemed to be tolerant of in private. In fact, Richard Nixon, even refusing to meet with those members of Congress, they were all African-American. Why? Why not at least meet with them? Well, if you recall the uh, uh, his election, I mean, you know, when he ran for president in 1960, uh, you know, uh, he he lost um, uh, over, uh, you know, it was really Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, arrest. Richard Nixon was leading uh, in the black community. Uh, he had gotten the endorsement of Martin Luther King uh, Sr., uh, and I can tell you from my own experiences on the college campus that I was on, uh, he, uh, had a pretty, um, uh, pretty good following among African Americans. Uh, he was benefiting from, uh, Eisenhower, uh, who had taken a pretty principled stand, uh, down in Little Rock, uh, and he was benefiting from all of that. But for some reason, I never understood it. Um, he uh, chastised Henry Cabot Lodge for uh, for even suggesting uh, that he would be fair to people of color. Took him to the woodshed, so to speak, uh, and, um, and, and lost over all of that. So he comes back, uh, having lost a bitter contest, uh, to uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, I think he is just a bit spiteful. That's what it was all about. Let me go back to one of the early members of the Congressional Black Caucus, somebody who you knew well, the late Congressman Ron Dellums of California. And in a speech that we covered back in 2012, he talked about what it was like coming from California to Washington and how he was viewed on Capitol Hill. So I sit down, cameras lights, action. So the press was waiting for me to read a very carefully scripted comment. Predictable. Well, I'm really not a radical. I'm really a liberal Democrat and I'm, you know, that kind of thing. And I said, I have no opening statement. Pregnant pause, because that wasn't the script, right? They didn't know quite what to do. I said, I'm prepared to answer any questions. They didn't know what to do. Finally, somebody said, Vice President Agnew charges that you're a dangerous radical. How do you respond to that charge? Well, if it's radical to oppose the insanity and the cruelty of Vietnam War, if it's radical to oppose the danger of nuclear weapons, if it's radical to oppose the cruelty and the pain and the oppression of racism and sexism and ageism and classism and other forms of chauvinism, if it's radical to want to eradicate poverty and hunger and disease and inadequate education and inadequate housing in this country, then, sir, I'm very proud to be called a radical. That from nine years ago, the late Congressman Ron Dellums. And Congressman Jim Clyburn, your reaction as you hear that? Oh, I agree with him. Uh, My goodness. Uh, I'm a 60s kind of radical myself. Uh, John Lewis, I recall uh, John Lewis being uh, a pretty radical person uh, because he wanted to vote. 
can you imagine uh, how radical radical that idea is to want to be able to cast an unfettered uh, vote? Uh, so that is uh, what we were uh, got to, uh, had to contend with. Uh, you're right. I got to know Ron Dellums very, very well. In fact, I met him on my uh, college campus. It was after I graduated college, but he was invited to South Carolina State. Uh, and I went back to my alma mater to listen to him, and we met that night. And he had a, a very profound impact on me. Uh, and when I got to Congress, um, uh, we uh, we got to be uh, friends. And when he left Congress, uh, he uh, uh, held an event for me every year. Uh, he and Jesse Watt come, got together to do it. Uh, so uh, he it was just the kind of guy uh, that spoke out against uh, things that were wrong or things that he perceived to be wrong, uh, and that is a radical thing to do in the minds of a lot of people. So how did Congressman Ron Dellums, some of the early founders of the Congressional Black Caucus, Shirley Chisholm of New York, Charlie Rangel, also of New York, John Conyers of Michigan, Walter Fauntroy here in Washington, D.C., how did they view the CBC and how did they try to shape the early agenda of Congress based on their perspectives? Well, uh, they traveled around the country quite a bit. As I said, they came to South Carolina. Fauntroy came to South Carolina on several occasions. I got to know Fauntroy very well. Andy Young uh, came to South Carolina often. John Conyers, uh, most especially uh, when they saw that part of their uh, mission had to be to free uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, that was being treated like a plantation. John McMillan uh, was chair of the D.C. committee. McMillan was from South Carolina. Uh, and was a pretty, uh, some would say conservative. I would, I would use a much stronger term than that. My father was conservative, uh, <clears throat> but my father uh, was not intolerant of race, uh, and Macmillan was, and they treated Washington, D.C. that way. So they, one of their missions was to get rid of, Washington, uh, of John Macmillan. And so they came to South Carolina pretty often. Uh, I now hold a seat uh, that Macmillan Hill. However, uh, it was John Jenneret that they selected as a candidate uh, and defeated Jenneret. Uh, uh, so uh, they were pushing uh, things that communities all over uh, the country wanted. Uh, I remember uh, also coming to South Carolina often was eight towns. Uh, who happened to have been originally from North Carolina. In fact, his father passed it in South Carolina. So they they went around and they, they knew what was going on in these communities and they knew what people's dreams and aspirations were. And they came back to, to Washington and they became uh, congressional representatives for the uh, at large almost. They may have been elected uh, by their congressional district, but they were really... Uh, Congress people at large in so many instances. And in preparing for this conversation with you, one of the things that struck me regarding Congressman Ron Dellums, his passion to deal with South Africa and the divisiveness, the division created by apartheid. Take us back to the early 1970s 
Why was that such a defining issue for the CBC and really for the world? Well, South Africa is always uh, a, a lightning rod. Uh, apartheid it was something that um, uh, we in the South uh, saw as being much more personal than than a lot of people did. But the people like Ron Dellums and later on Maxine Waters uh, were from California, and they were uh, kind of uh, insulated uh, from the kind of uh, political reprisals that uh, that would befall many people from North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, Georgia. Uh, and they were uh, willing uh, to speak out on that issue. Uh, and those of us in the South uh, recognize uh, apartheid in a special, special way. Uh, a lot of people call it segregation. They might call it Jim Crow. But whatever you may call it, it is apartheid. This year, of course, marking the 50th anniversary of the CBC what are the legislative accomplishments? Where has your organization made its biggest impact on Capitol Hill? Well, you know, uh, I remember going to the 1972 uh, Democratic Convention. It was the year that Shirley Chisholm was winning for president. Um, uh, I, um, I thought uh, that then that her candidacy... It was something that needed to be given credibility. Uh, and I voted for Shirley Chisholm in 1972 as a South Carolina delegate, uh, Dr. R.N. Roswell N. Beck, a medical doctor from Florence, South Carolina. You will see two votes cast for Shirley Chisholm. And when it came down to it, when people would ordinarily say, uh, well, let us all have our vote uh, recorded as being unanimous uh, for uh, this time it was it was McGovern. No, I didn't change my vote and, and noted not the back uh, because we thought it was um, we had to help give credibility uh, to Shirley Chisholm. Uh, the caucus at that time was only what four years old. Uh, and uh, it, we didn't feel that it would be right uh, for history to be recorded uh, that she ran for president and, and did not get our votes for president. And that's what the, what the Congressional Black Caucus meant to us back then. Uh, and it has, uh, it is credited with having uh, done what was necessary to get rid of apartheid. I do not believe uh, that um, that issue would have come to an end when it did, but for the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, and those, and we still do that. Uh, those of us who have certain, um, uh, what I would call expertise, uh, I don't know if there's anybody better. Uh, at uh, being uh, chair of the financial services at this particular juncture in time uh, than uh, Maxine Waters is, is being. I just don't think 
you can do that. And if you go through uh, Homeland Security with Bennett Thompson, uh, education, uh, we now education and labor uh, with uh, Bobby Scott. Uh, now, for the first time in history, uh, a black chair uh, of the Agriculture Committee uh, with David Scott. Um, that's what we've done. We have worked as a caucus to get uh, in certain positions, and we've gotten in these positions, and we have um, uh, stayed focused on what is necessary to move uh, and the uh, agenda along. Uh, and I think that um, uh, there's no one thing that you can point to. There's so many things uh, that uh, are taking place. And now, all of a sudden, we got a chair of foreign affairs that's uh, a member of the, of the Black Caucus. And so, Eddie Bernice Johnson, the chair of science. Uh, so, that's how we make our mark. Uh, marking up legislation in these committees, uh, making sure uh, that you do what is necessary uh, to uh, really help perpetuate the dreams and aspirations of people of color is what we're all about. And it's kind of interesting. If you check the members, and they've done these numbers, and I've heard them recently, uh, we represent 80 million people 17 million of whom are African-Americans. <laughs> so uh, it's not uh, anything that's 100% of what we do, uh, but it really is 100% of uh, who and what we are. Let me follow up on two final points and remind our listeners that we are talking with South Carolina Democratic Congressman Jim Clyburn. What was the significance of the election of Barack Obama as the first African-American president? Oh, it meant more for uh, little children uh, of color than anything uh, that any of us could do as members of Congress. Uh, I think that it changed uh, things forever, not just for uh, people of color, but for uh, a lot of white people as well. And all of it, the change that took place with a lot of white people has not been positive. I think that much of what you see today uh, taking place uh, is because uh, of a reaction of, of certain uh, segments of, of, of white people to Barack Obama's uh, election. I mean, how else did Trump uh, become president? He became president by uh, trying, uh, being willing to go out and, and try to disqualify uh, the presidency uh, of Barack Obama. Uh, that's how he made his name. Uh, and that's still going on. Though I think that in the final analysis, uh, we'll, we'll get beyond that. Um, but we're still suffering from that. So much of the headlines you see today, I think you've seen those headlines simply because there is still a reaction to the fact that um, Barack Obama had the audacity uh, to even run for president. And my God, he even won the presidency. So, Congressman, have you felt the sting of racism in your own lifetime? Yes, I have. Um, My goodness, 
I grew up in Sumter, South Carolina, where history will dictate the White Citizens Council, uh, which was the a um, three-piece suit version of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, is said to have been born there in Sumter, South Carolina. But at the same time, there in Sumter, South Carolina, uh, people like James McBride Dabbs, uh, who uh, was a very progressive uh, landowner, a uh, big farmer. Uh, so it, he was on the opposite side of that equation. And so I grew up around all of that. I grew up uh, listening to my mother, one of the most successful entrepreneurs uh, in Sumter at the time, and never uh, being called uh, by anything but her first name. Uh, my dad uh, not being given uh, the respect uh, that uh, is due any uh, grown man. You know, uh, when I was born, uh, my dad was 40-something years old. <laughs> so uh, he's always a pretty grown man in my eyesight. Where are we today in terms of racism in America? At an inflection point. Uh, the country uh, is trying to uh, decide which one of the roads to travel. Who was it, Robert Frost, uh, who uh, coined the great poem uh, about two roads uh, meeting in a wood? I think that that's where we are today, uh, trying to decide which one of these roads uh, you are going to uh, travel upon. And maybe it'll be the one less traveled by. But uh, I subscribe to the theory that it's not necessarily the road that you take, but the people uh, who uh, uh, travel upon those roads, the people you meet uh, on those roads, I think that's what makes the difference. And so I believe that if we take the wrong road, and form relationships with the wrong set of people, as seem to be happening in too many instances. If that becomes the prevailing thought, then the democracy uh, will cease to be. And Congressman, one final point, the mission moving forward for the Congressional Black Caucus, what is it? It's going to stay focused, stay in touch with the dreams and aspirations of the people who look to you for leadership, not necessarily who you may represent. I'm the only African-American uh, in the Congress from South Carolina. Uh, but South Carolina uh, is a state of over 4 million people, uh, and right around 29% of whom are African-Americans. So though I have one of the seven districts, there are African-Americans in all of those districts that look to me uh, to help with the fulfillment of their dreams and aspirations. And the Congressional Black Caucus has that same role to play on the national stage. Congressman James Clyburn, he represents South Carolina's 6th Congressional District, joining us here in Washington. We thank you for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. And this reminder, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and all of C-SPAN's podcasts so you never miss an episode. 
You can follow us on Twitter at C-SPAN Radio. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. We thank you for listening.